Lately, it feels like topics such as love languages and attachment styles have been all the rage, with people talking about their insecure attachment styles and what they might mean. Lucky for us, the story doesn't have to end there. You may want to listen to this episode to find out what it takes to have a more secure attachment style. But what do I know? Um, from your perspective, are there any att- insecure attachment styles that should stay away from each other when it comes to developing relationships? Are there any I two mean, that you would say, don't do it? <laughs> statistically anxious and avoidant not only tend to be the most common pair, but are also uh, tend to be the worst pair. Because if you think about their traits, it's really a cat and mouse game. This is But What Do I Know podcast with Chit Suzanne, a space for affirming, for learning, and for healing. A podcast and community where we're exploring our But What Do I Know moments in hopes that it helps you, the listener, overcome yours. You ready? Welcome everyone to another episode of the But What Do I Know podcast. I'm your host, Chid Suzanne, and I just want to welcome you all to yet another episode. We're back and we're feeling good on this Wednesday. You know, life tried us a little bit, tried to humble us, but uh, we had to rest, strategize, and let them know that you can't keep a bad gal down. (laughs) Can't, not for too long at least. But uh, we are back, we're feeling good, and we're so excited to bring you this episode. But before we go any further, if this is your first time tuning in and listening to this podcast, thank you for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed this episode and the conversation we have. You know, make sure that you are subscribed on whatever streaming platform it is that you used to listen to this podcast, especially if that is Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You know, make sure that you are leaving us a five star, five, five star rating or review on the streaming platforms, again, especially if that is Apple Podcasts or Spotify, as this just helps to increase our visibility so that other listeners can find us as well. If you're already in the know, you're already part of our community, you've been rocking with us, you subscribed, you left us a review. Thank you so much for being in the know. Thanks for being part of our community and for continuously listening. All right. So it's midweek. If you're listening to this podcast episode, when it comes out, it's Wednesday. So, you know, I hope your week's going well. Hope the nine to five isn't stressing you too much. And for, you know, LLC gang, entrepreneurship gang, (laughs) I hope that, you know, y'all are not getting too, too stressed out by your goals. You know, as my people will say, if you hustle hard, you feel rest small. So (laughs) let's go ahead and get into our cluing segment for this episode. All right, so for our clue and segment for this episode, we're going to start off with some politics and politics-related news as it pertains to the province of Ontario here. Um, So municipal elections, we are in another election cycle. I know we just had one a few months ago, and that was for the provincial race that also took place here in Ontario. Well, we're in another one. And this time around, candidates will be running for, you know, city council, I believe district school board positions as well and also for mayor seats in 
different municipalities across the province of Ontario. So to get involved and to vote, please search up municipal election information on the website of whatever municipality you live in in the province of Ontario. So for example, if I'm in the city of Toronto and I want to look up Toronto's information, I'm going to go to toronto.ca. All right. So in addition, you may have also received voting cards that, you know, were mailed out to your residents. Those will also include information telling you when and where to vote. So we're already, you know, our voting cycle has already begun. Um, advanced poll voting actually began October 7th and will be taking place till October 14th. So if you're listening to this episode on the Wednesday that it drops, you have two more days for advanced voting here in the province of Ontario for mu- this municipal elections. All right. And then the actual election day is October 24th. So if you miss the advanced voting, you can still vote on the actual election day, which is October 24th. So for those of us here in Ontario, you know, please look into various candidates. Please make out the time to see, you know, what each of their platforms stand for, what their focus is on. Um, Local elections are really important. I know they're not they don't have the same allure, the same marketing budget and the same sort of I would say overall noise, if I will, that federal elections have, but they're still important because these are the individuals that will be directly making a change in your communities and directly impacting and affecting your communities. So these are just as important as our federal elections. So for Toronto specifically, I thought I would highlight two candidates that I've been sort of watching and You know, I have a good friend that likes to say, you know, they always have a plan and they always have solutions until they actually win, until they actually get into power. And that's true. You know, you can never like I'm always weary to 100 percent go to bat for these politicians. But I have been keeping my eye on Chloe Brown and Gil Penalosa. They have city planning and policy backgrounds that that was sort of their profession before they sort of made their way into politics now. Um, And so they actually have platforms that have solutions for things like affordable housing, for things like making transit better. For those of us that are, you know, annoyed at the TTC, (laughs) they actually have, you know, solutions and they break it down. So those are two, two really good candidates that I would say, you know, go ahead and look into because I like what they stand for and the work and the change that they're pushing for, especially Chloe Brown. Like she's really, she's really working. Um, And I believe this is her first time running. So go ahead and look into these two candidates further and um, above all vote, vote your heart, vote what you think will bring about the best change for your municipality. All right. So the next thing on our list for you all to clue into this week is a book that is titled Love Radio by the author Ebony Liddell. Listen, y'all go check this book out. However, you can get your hands on this book, get your hands on this book, whether it's audiobook or physical copy. It's it's just such a beautiful representation of black love. And that's why I really, really, really love it. I was introduced to this book through Bookstagram, specifically Black Girl Bookstagram, and everyone was raving about it. So I decided to check it out and I would listen to the audiobook while I worked and listen the two main characters. So you got Prince Jones, who's this young man who has a radio show where he shares love and life advice. And then you got Danny Ford, who's an aspiring writer. She wants to move to New York to better her writing skills and to grow and move out of Detroit. And it's just sort of reading or listening to them grow and sort of navigate complex life issues while also trying to navigate love. It's just such a a really interesting book. Um, 
I feel like it's just the regular love story that we deserve without all the extra added trauma and dramatics of it all. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it was beautifully written. And in a couple of weeks, you all will find out why I am harping on you reading or checking this book out in some way. But um, honestly, this book really is that girl. So however you can get your hands on it, go check it out. Our podcast is a part of the Audible Creator Program. So if you would like to check out this book or any other, you know, audio title or creation free for 30 days, feel free to use the link www.audibletrial backslash BWDIK podcast. And you're able to check out this book or any other audio title or creation free for 30 days. All right, so it's about that time, and I know this is definitely a favorite when it comes to the clue-in segment, so let's go ahead and talk Thin's music. The first artist that I want to recommend to you all this week is an artist by the name of Osei. Osei is a Nigerian-Canadian artist, I believe based in the city of Toronto, and they just released a two-pack single titled In the Meantime. So the two songs on this two-pack single are Perfect Timing and Same Place. Same Place definitely has a nice groove to it. Um, She still hits us with her really nice vocals, but you can definitely vibe to Same Place. Now, Perfect Timing. Perfect Timing is for those of us who enjoy hearing R&B music with all the vocal layering and the harmonization. Once you're done listening to this episode, go and listen to Osei's In The Meantime two-pack single. You will not be disappointed. I'm enjoying having these two on repeat and... um. Now nah, she did her thing. She definitely did her thing. So go ahead and check out Osei's In the Meantime two-pack single. All right. And for the final artist that I want to recommend, Joyce Rice. I've been listening to her ever since her Overgrown project. I believe that was her first album that she put out. I enjoy her vocals. As an R&B lover, I love pretty much anything that she puts out. Um, when I went to see Lucky Day in Toronto earlier this year, she opened up for him. And when I tell you that her mic was on, her mic was on. So she just recently released her Motive EP. It's a five song EP on October 7th. So just recently. And um, I'm enjoying it. It's more up tempo. So if you're someone who likes R&B, but you also want to like vibe and dance a little, this is the EP project for you. So check it out. Um, I'm enjoying Iced Tea. I'm enjoying Bittersweet Goodbyes. And so I had a hunch that a lot of her songs were the the production was very like Afro fusion, Afro inspired. And then I looked into the producers and one of them is Nigerian. So big up to you. You did your thing. Um, If you listen to the song Spent on the EP, you'll definitely have that feel as well as Bittersweet Goodbyes, which I'm going to play this week for our song of the week. It's been a while since I played something for you all, so I thought I would bring that back. So yeah, let's go ahead and get into Bittersweet Goodbyes of the Motive EP by Joyce Rice. Yeah, I just need you to Goodbye. 
right, so y'all make sure to support Joyce Rise with her Motive EP, as well as check out Osei's two-pack single titled In the Meantime. With that, it's time for us to get into our main segment for this episode. This week, we're getting back into our psych bag and we're talking all things attachment styles. I know this is something that's become more popular as we, you know, we try to figure out our attachment styles, if we're secure, insecure, all that good stuff. So it was such a pleasure to have our guests join us for this conversation. So I'm not going to spoil it. Let's just get right to it. Right. So for our main segment for this episode, we're going to be talking about something that a lot of the listeners have requested and I have been waiting and wanting to have this conversation on this podcast as well. I'm really excited. So today we're going to be talking all things attachment theory, attachment styles and how these sort of relate to and play a role in the types of relationships that we, you know, develop, create and find ourselves in. So today we have Simone Saunders to you know help us unpack all of this and um simone is a registered clinical social worker and is also the founder and managing director of the cognitive corner this is a private mental health practice that services several provinces here in canada including ontario and alberta so simone thank you so much for being on this episode i'm excited to get into all this with you Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I know that this has been a hot topic just in general lately. So yeah, I'm yeah, excited to chat. For sure. I'm excited to have you and break this all down. But you know, before we get into sort of the core of our conversation, I typically like to start this by just asking, um, you know, the guests that we have on here, just sort of your a quick synopsis of your journey and your story. You know, how did you find yourself doing this work as being a registered social worker specializing in trauma? How did you sort of find your way into this path? Yeah, so um, I went into the social work program, not really necessarily knowing exactly what I wanted to do or anything. And um, throughout my journey in the social work program, I found mental health. And it was because, you know, my I had friends and family members that were experiencing mental health struggles at the time. And I even wanted to find a therapist at one point as well. And I couldn't find anybody that looked like me or understood really my experiences, um, and especially back then, because that would have been... Um, like seven, eight years ago. And so uh, that was really what kind of sparked my passion. And then I started working um, with children at first on the mental health unit in the hospital. And then I pivoted to work with adults. And that was kind of my first exposure to trauma within the um, kind of community mental health sphere. And from then my passion really just grew. Um, And then after that, I knew I wanted to do private practice and I started the social media pages. And that was the intention behind those pages was because I always saw so much education around your physical health, but not very much education around your mental health. And especially not education that's digestible um, for someone who's not in the field. And so I thought that was really important. And that just grew and grew. And then now we have a psychological practice, which is really great. And yeah, I focus on trauma and I focus specifically as well on the BIPOC community because I think that that's super important. Mm. I think honestly, something that you mentioned that is something that I'm really, that I really like about your page and I'm really like sort of like passionate in when it comes to fields that are hard to digest is that 
people that are not in those fields are able to still find accessible information, whether it's like therapy, politics, like whatever it may be, especially mental health that, mm-hmm. you know, I really like that when I go on your page, I watch your reels, I look at your mm-hmm. posts, I can understand even though I'm not, you know, like operating in that field. So I think that's definitely yeah. important because for a, a long time before we sort of started having Instagram become a big way that we communicated about therapy and stuff, it wasn't the case. So yeah, yeah for sure. Absolutely. And yeah. it can make people feel really isolated when they don't really understand what's going on or the information that is out there is really inaccessible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so here on the Boaduano podcast, we like to, you know, explore moments where, you know, myself or our guests have had, you know, um, but what do I know moments? We like to, you know, have you ever, you know, ever thought to yourself, but what do I know about therapy? But what do I know about psychotherapy? And who am I to sort of, you know, educate and teach people and help people? I'm still working through my own stuff. So, you know, I'm wondering if you have ever, ever had any of those moments. And um, if so, how did you overcome them? For sure. Especially at the beginning, um, when I was a new therapist, I had those moments constantly. And it still happens because I'm still learning. And I think that, um, you know, the way that I see those moments is as a learning moment. And if I think that I know everything, then that's not a good thing, especially in this field. I think life in general is just a continuous journey of learning and unlearning things. And so if you find yourself feeling, well, what do I know? Or I could learn more, then lean into that. You maybe could learn more. Maybe there is avenues that you haven't explored, or maybe there's people that you could learn from. Mm. And so, you know, early in my career was definitely a place of insecurity. And now I've kind of flipped it more to say like, okay, what does this mean for me? Or what is this trying to tell me? Mm. I like it moving from a place of sort of insecurity, but leaning into that curiosity. I like it. That's so cool. I love hearing what like different guests, especially when I have black women on how they've sort of overcome that moment and move from a place of like doubt or insecurity to like, no, I'm owning that. I do know stuff and I deserve to be here, but I'm still leaning in to learn, to continuously learn. So thank you for sharing mm-hmm. that. Um, okay, attachment styles. Well, let's get into <laughs> it. <laughs> um, get into the meat and potatoes. Yes. Uh, so I feel like this will be a really good place to start. I think it'll offer context to listeners. So attachment styles sort of come from this uh, idea of the attachment theory, right? Um, so mm-hmm. what is the attachment theory? What's the history with that? Can you just share a little bit about that with us? Yeah, Absolutely. So the attachment theory is is fairly old. And so it's from a psychologist um, called John Bobley. And so essentially, the attachment theory is based on your relationship with your caregivers and the emotional and psychological connectedness that you have with them. And so the level of connectedness, I guess you could say, or the level of security that you have is what determines your attachment style. So essentially, if you, you know, have the trust in your caregivers that they will can, um, you know, anticipate and meet your needs, then you can develop a secure attachment. If you have doubts in that or your uh, caregivers don't meet those needs, that's when you develop an insecure attachment style, which I'm sure that we'll dive Mm. right into as well. Absolutely. Okay. So before we go any further, is our attachment style, can it always be linked directly to our relationship with our caregiver? Like, is that the only sort of determining factor? No. Okay, good to know. um, Yeah. So, and I know it's a very uh, common thought as well. Most Mm -hmm. of the time it's related to our caregivers or early relationships, but your attachment style can change over time as well, depending on the relationships that you have throughout your life. Okay. Okay. So Mm -hmm. there are currently four, last time I checked, four attachment styles. 
Okay, cool. So we're going to walk through them and I just want you to sort of just quickly define what they are just so the listeners have a better idea. Okay. So secure attachment style. If I have a secure attachment style, what sort of traits am I exhibiting and so on? Yeah. So a secure attachment style essentially uh, has trust in themselves and trusts others. And so that would look like being able to um, be vulnerable in a way that is appropriate for the relationship, appropriate for yourself. Um, You don't necessarily have uh, deep-seated worries about abandonment um, or losing independence or anything like that. Of course, there's still insecurities that come with having a secure attachment because everybody's human, but it's not anything deep-seated or something that you find that you're perseverating on. And so essentially, it's just kind of a healthy outlook on relationships where you realize that relationship t- relationships take work, um, mm. you know, you yourself and your partner are both going to have good and bad days. There's ups and downs within the relationships and the ups and downs don't necessarily mean demise or abandonment or any of those things. Mm. I like that, that you said, you know, we, we won't always have, you know, good days. We have good days, bad days, there are ebbs and flows. Mm -hmm. And also the fact that we're all humans. So even if you're feeling insecure, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have an insecure attachment style. Okay, Mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. Um, the next that I have on my list is anxious attachment. So what does that sort of mean and how do we, if, if you have an anxious attachment style, what are some sort of traits that you would exhibit in like in a romantic relationship? Yeah. So typically those who have an anxious attachment style, um, they're often described as clingy. Um, mm-hmm. They often, yeah, oftentimes you're described as clingy. Uh, a lot of times people find that they obsess or perseverate over their relationships and they have a really hard time not thinking about the relationship. Uh, they have this sense of worry or the anxiety when they're apart from their partner that really only goes away when their partner is present. Um, and I think one of the biggest things is um, demonstrating protest behaviors, which essentially um, is any behaviors that intend to draw your partner closer. But typically, protest behaviors work against us in that capacity because although the intention is to draw someone closer, typically they push them away because. Um, protest behaviors look like excessive calling and texting or that Mm. clingy sort of behavior that we talk about um, threatening to leave the relationship trying to make your partner jealous things like that where the end goal is I want you to stay with me and I want to feel secure in this relationship but objectively what's happening is you're pushing them away Mm, okay Um, avoid an attachment what is this uh, what does this attachment sort of look like in relationships yeah And so avoidant attachment is oftentimes the crux of it is independence and hyper-independence at that. (laughs) And so you don't feel like you need anybody. You don't want anybody to infringe on that sense of independence. And you don't feel like you can rely on people is the root of it. Is that, you know, you don't want to get too close to someone. You don't want too much emotional intimacy because at the end of the day, you don't believe that people are going to be there, um, you know, to meet your needs. And so instead of putting yourself in what might seem like harm's way um, and being vulnerable and asking for needs to be met, those needs will just stay to themselves and they'll meet them themselves. And so oftentimes you might find if you have an avoidant attachment style, um, you distance yourself from relationships or you are in relationships that lack emotional intimacy or, Mm. um, you know, a lot of situationships those often fit within avoidant attachment styles because it's the commitment without commitment right so the pseudo commitment that you don't have to feel like okay i'm actually committing to someone um 
and oftentimes avoidant attachment styles will will leave relationships fairly often especially ones that are paired with anxious attachment styles mm. okay we're gonna have you sort of talk about the last one and then i want to draw this back to sort of our childhood but okay the last one is fearful avo- avoidant attachment which from my understanding mm-hmm. is a combination of um avoidant and anxious am i understand understand that correctly yeah so okay. essentially the traits look like both a mixture of anxious and avoidant where it comes from is um you know the underlying belief that relationships will always end in demise so mm. you're not really sure if your needs are going to get met or not they're not going to get met and so it's kind of this oscillating behavior between okay i want to cling to you no you're not safe i'm going to push you away and so uh. you'll see some of those traits of like okay i'm going to be really vulnerable with you and there's going to be a lot of emotional intimacy but after that that in itself might scare the person and then they might draw away or break up with the person or just leave. Okay. So when I was sort of like preparing for this episode, there are some, some articles that speak to the fact that fearful avoidant um, attachment styles are not necessarily, they're not as researched as the, as the others. And there's also some like research that it's often called disorganized and research mm-hmm. sort of shows that people who have this attachment style probably had really traumatic childhood is that do you sort of agree with that i know it's different sort of research speak to different things mm-hmm. and so on but um i just want to get yeah. your perspective on that for sure yeah i always whenever i'm referring to the fearful avoidance slash disorganized i always use kind of both terms because i know different people are f- familiar with different things yeah um but essentially the research is right because you know the reason that disorganized or fearful avoidant attachment style uh, develops to begin with is because their caregiver is a source of love and a source of fear. And so that doesn't necessarily mean that it's, um, you know, overt abuse to the child. It could be the child witnessing their caregiver abuse someone or Mm -hmm. witnessing emotional neglect or having um, been the victim of emotional, physical abuse, neglect, any of those things. Wow. Okay. So that makes a lot of sense because when I was reading that, I was like, okay, I get it. But the funny thing is, me and my girlfriends have done this quiz, the attachment style quiz online. And um, mm-hmm. for the most part, we're secure. But some of us tend to have, you know, some fearful avoidant traits that show up like in the chart, you know, because we're not all just one attachment style at any point in time. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, even my sister had it. And I'm looking at her like, you didn't have a very traumatic childhood. But now that you say that, I can, I can understand where it's, you know, your caregiver might have been a source of love. And fear, which is very confusing for you to sort of mm-hmm. decipher as you get older. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. So what would that relationship between someone and their, and their caregiver have looked like for them to develop an anxious attachment style? So with anxious attachment style, the um, level of having the needs met is inconsistent. So okay. it's not all the time. And so when that happens, a child becomes anxious and does not know when their needs are going to be met next. And that's when that quote unquote clinginess behavior um, develops because I don't know when I'm going to get this need met next. So I'm going to cling on to you right now, Mm. just in case. Wow. Okay. And then what about avoidant? So avoidants are typically left kind of to their own devices. And sometimes this isn't necessarily, you know, quote unquote on purpose, so to speak. So it could be that a child, um, 
you know, has other siblings and the parents feel like, oh, this child is, is really independent. We don't really have to pay a whole mm. lot of attention to them. And the needs that they have, their physical needs might be met, but emotional needs, maybe not. Mm. And that's what leads them to feel like, okay, I don't have anybody to go to. So I have to meet these needs myself. So that's when that develops of that independence or that hyper-independence develops where they feel like they have to do things by themselves. Sounds like uh, something that could happen to a firstborn daughter in a black household. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. I like that breakdown. Um, okay. So I came across another stat that I want to share with you and I want to get mm. your perspective on this. So the stat and the article, I believe I got it from is mind, body, green. And um, they were stating that about 56% of adults have secure attachment styles. Like our primary attachment style is secure. So this is interesting to me because that's technically more than half, right? It's not an overwhelming Mm -hmm. number, but it's it's just over half. But I feel like, I don't want to say surrounding me like my immediate circle, but when you sort of zoom out and look at society right now, especially when you look at millennials, younger millennials, the way that we date, and the types mm-hmm. of relationships that we get into, create, find ourselves in. I don't know that it represents 56% of adults being having secure attachment styles. What do you think? Mm-hmm. I mean, my first reaction is that it feels a little bit high. Um, right? I wouldn't be surprised if it was in the higher 40s. Um, Mid 50s feels like a little bit high, but yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I wonder if so when I had shared that with a friend, they were like, well, maybe because all the secures are already in relationships and the rest and then everyone else is trying to yeah. figure out the dating pool. And I was like, huh, OK, that, that's a point. That's a theory. Um, but I do want to get into. So when you sort of have established and you sort of figure out your attachment style, which you can do with various quizzes online um, and so mm-hmm. on. Um, from your perspective, are there any insecure attachment styles that should stay away from each other when it comes to developing relationships? Are there any two that you would say, don't do it? (laughs) Statistically anxious and avoidant not only tend to be the most common pair, but are also uh, tend to be the worst pair. Because if you Mm. think about their traits, it's really a cat and mouse game of the anxious attachment person needing and wanting emotional intimacy, needing a lot of reassurance um, quote unquote, being clingy and then the avoidant person pushing them away. And then it just right. reinforces that cycle. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, listen, it's not hard. an impossible relationship, <laughs> but it's a hard one. <laughs> um, it's a hard one. And I think that if both parties are really aware and willing to work on those parts of themselves, then mm. absolutely it can work. But I think if both parties are unaware, then it easily turns into that cat and mouse game. And, you know, usually those relationships don't work out very well. Right. So if you are aware and you know you're you maybe have an insecure attachment attachment style and your partner also has an insecure attachment style, what are sort of some things that you can sort of keep in mind to be aware to maybe better navigate the relationship? Like let's say like you mentioned I am avoidant, I'm fearful avoidant and my partner is anxious. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, or is primarily secure but still has some anxious traits. You know, how do we sort of mm-hmm. navigate this to make sure that it it can be a little bit smoother for both of us. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing to tackle is emotional intimacy, because that's kind of like a a crux for all Mm -hmm. of the attachment styles. And what aid, what does everyone want that to look like? 
um, what makes you feel comfortable, what makes you feel unsafe, having planned emotional intimacy rather than it being spur of the moment. Because if it's spur of the moment, then it feels unsafe. It doesn't feel like there's any control and then shut down. But if it's, if there's a plan around it, if the person knows to expect that, then it feels a little bit safer and they can kind of decide what information they want to share and don't want to share. Okay. And so I think it's really just having conversations around um, like emotional intimacy, uh, boundaries, what is helpful, Mm -hmm. what is not helpful, um, how much, you know, space and independence do you need? How much alone time do you need? What do you need in order to foster that independence? Um, You know, the type of closeness, the type of communication. So I think a lot of over communicating, honestly, sometimes can be very, very helpful. Mm. You mentioned something and I want you to sort of just clarify in case people are listening who are not familiar with this term. So you use the term emotional yeah. intimacy. Um, can you just yeah. break that down? What does that sort of mean? I mean, I, I have an idea, but I, I want you to sort of break it down for us. Yeah, um, it's kind of just when I say emotional intimacy, I just mean emotional closeness. So that could mm-hmm. look like, you know, sharing your history with someone. So your childhood that could mean um, sharing different experiences. I think it means something different for everybody because one person sharing their childhood, that could not feel intimate at all. But right. for somebody else, that can feel extremely intimate. Right. So it's just about sharing parts of yourself that feel a little bit sacred and that you mm. maybe wouldn't share with absolutely everybody. Mm, okay. I like that actually because I feel like overcommunication is actually important to sort of understand, like you said, setting boundaries limits Mm -hmm. how to foster that closeness and learn what each other sort of needs i feel like that's Mm -hmm. that's really important um so Mm -hmm. i have a listener question (laughs) um is preferring a long distance relationship a sign of an avoidant attachment style (laughs) (laughs) and i like this question because i do not to say that i prefer long distance relationships but I don't mind them. Like, I feel like I kind of like my space. So I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this. <laughs> I think it's dependent. I think, I don't think I can objectively answer that question. Yes or no. Mm-hmm. I think that it's very dependent on the reason. Why do you like long distance? Is it because you don't have to see your partner um, for, you know, X amount of time. And right. then, you know, you like the buildup. Or is it just because you really like your space or you really don't, you know, want someone in in your space? Mm -hmm. Because I think it definitely can be, um, you know, a sign of an avoidant trait. Um, Because if you think about, you know, if it's an avoidance of intimacy, that's what we want to look at is, do you like long distance relationships because you're trying to avoid the relationship getting closer? Mm. Or is it just because it tends to work out and maybe you're busy with work in this period of your life and whatever else. Okay, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. If it's it's because you're trying to avoid... You know the relationship moving any further then i think that's something that you might have to look out for okay i think that's fair i think that's fair because i personally yeah. find that i do have to be a little careful about my reasons for that but i just find that it allows for a balance of like i have my space you have your space and when we see each other it's a great time um mm-hmm. but yeah i have had to sort of reflect on the reasons yeah. for that too so i agree with you on that one yeah and i think a good question to reflect on might be if this relationship were no no 
if this relationship were no longer long distance, how would I feel about that and why? Mm. Well, that's a good question. So if you would feel scared, why would you feel scared? If you would feel nervous, why would you feel nervous? If you're feeling excited and happy, why? Right. That's a really good question. Mm, do some reflecting. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so, you know, these attachment style quizzes are all online. There's no shortage of them. And, you know, you can go on and, I, and there are different sort of questions, um, but you can sort of find out in a couple of minutes your attachment style, right? So if I complete it, I know my attachment style. And let's say, you know, I have an insecure attachment style. I'm anxious, so I'm avoidant. Um, and I sort of want to do the work to change that. What are some sort of steps that we can take? Um, like I assume obviously some reflection and so on, but you know, now I know I'm insecure and I'm, I'm, I understand that, okay, might need some work. What are sort of the next steps that we can take to address in it? Yeah. So um, I think reflection is kind of the first point around what are, so if you're have an anxious attachment style, for example, what are some of my common protest behaviors? What do I do when I feel insecure in a relationship? If you have an avoidant attachment style, what are some deactivating behaviors? So behaviors that push people away and decrease emotional intimacy. And starting to reflect on those things so that you can notice them as they come up in friendships or relationships. Because I think something that um, not a lot of people realize is that our attachment styles also impact our relationships, sometimes to a lesser degree, but we do still find that there are patterns there as well. Right. And so after that, I think it's just about intentionally making yourself uncomfortable by, mm -hmm. you know, for example, if you're an avoidant, then how do I accept help? How do I ask for help at times? How do I create emotional intimacy in my relationships? And taking kind of those baby steps. And it doesn't have to be, you know, leaps and bounds and bear and open your heart to people. But it's about how do I incrementally increase the intimacy in my relationships? Or if you're anxious, for example, how do I um, incrementally start to feel a little bit more secure with the distance in relationships without it meaning right. something about who I am. Okay. I like that a lot. Um, and I'm starting to think like, you know, while we do this work, how can our partner sort of help us? And I know you did some like really cool reels about this on like some work, um, you know, how, how to sort of approach relationships if your partner is anxious, if your partner is, you know, avoidant. So, you know, as we do this work, obviously it takes two to tangle. So what can our partners sort of do to complement the work that we're doing by ourselves? Yeah, I think that it's a lot about communication. So, mm. um, you know, for example, if maybe you're anxious and um, you're really working on your protest behaviors and maybe one of your big ones is blowing up your partner's phone. And Hi. so as your partner, perhaps that means you know, sitting down and talking about boundaries around, okay, I am, you know, going to hang out with my friends tonight. I know that it makes you anxious when we're apart. What I can do on my end is I can check in with you twice before um, I leave. And what, on your end, what I'm going to need for you to do is to make sure that you don't, you know, call me or blow up my phone outside of those mm. two check-in times. <sighs> okay, that's good. That's real specific. I'm going to give you a scenario. Um, yeah. So... Let's say it's, you know, I am avoidant and my partner is, you know, anxious, but leaning more towards being insecure. And okay. um, let's use hyper-independence because I know that not to sort of overgeneralize, 
but I see it in myself and I can sort of observe it in other people. I think that sometimes avoidance, especially mm-hmm. women, we tend to sort of exhibit hyper-independent traits. Mm-hmm. So how do I sort of like, how do you, how do you work on that with your partner? Like if you're more so you want to do everything, it's hard for you to ask for help. Uh, maybe you haven't had that support from your, from your, your family. You've had it from your friends. Like, how do you sort of work on that and say, listen, like I'm in a relationship now. I can lean on my partner. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, when you're in a partnership where someone is willing to work on this with you, I think Mm -hmm. it can be really helpful to talk about what creates a safe space for you to ask for help or what creates a safe space for you to lean into that. Um, Because ultimately most of the work has to be on the person who, you know, is hyper independent. Right. And so what your partner can do is, okay, if if you need me to maybe ask you, Hey, how's your day going? Or, Hey, you know what? I see that you um, struggled with X, Y, and Z, or I know that you talked about this project and, you said that it might be a little bit stressful. How's that going? Right. And then that's your opportunity to say, hey, you know what? I'd really like to talk about this. Or, hey, you know what? I'm actually really struggling with, you know, keeping up my share of the housework. Do you mind if, you know, you take an extra load of laundry or something like that? Mm, okay. That's a good one. I like that. And that way it's sort of, you know, creating that safe space for you to be able to ask for help. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Thank you for sharing. Um so is it possible for us to move from insecure to secure attachment style completely do you think yeah and again i think when we think of secure attachment i i don't want it to be idolized in the sense right right (sighs) yeah (laughs) like you've arrived and you just stay there (laughs) yeah because i think life happens things happen in relationships where there's times where you're going to feel insecure. There's times where you're, you know, not going to like your partner. There's times where right. you might feel not great about yourself. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you're not farther on your journey. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, a relationship or attachment style, sorry, can change over time. Um, but I think the biggest thing is really understanding what works for you, regardless of like right. the definitions of the attachment style. Do I feel mm. like there's a lot of emotional intimacy in my relationship? Do I feel happy? Do I feel loved and safe and secure? Right. Okay. Um, you've shared so much and um, I'm really grateful and I really appreciate you. And I sort of want to end up this little portion of our conversation, just giving you the space to, you know, share how this would sort of translate into work that you sort of do at the cognitive corner. So, you know, if someone was to, you know, um, sort of try, try therapy out and say, Hey, Simone, I want to sort of <laughs> try therapy out, sort of work through this, what sort of modalities and types of therapy almost um, sort of be used to work through this. Yeah. So first of all, I really take a look at where that attachment wound in is. And typically it's in childhood. Sometimes it's not, um, But if it is in childhood, um, or even if it's not actually taking a look at that wound and processing it, of course, after the relationship feels safe and it feels comfortable in order to do so. Um, But processing those parts and processing your internalized messaging around your experiences. So, you know, a lot of times, for example, um, avoidant attachment style, the internalized messaging can be that I can't rely on people or I'm not worth helping or it's Mm. not worth it for my needs to get met by other people. Right. And so 
really trying to process a lot of the shame that comes with a lot of the attachment styles and using the therapeutic relationship as well as, um, you know, an experiment too, because a lot of times I always say that, you know, the struggles that you have in your personal relationships will exist in the therapeutic relationship. So if you struggle asking for help, you're probably going to struggle asking me for help. If you Mm. struggle to set boundaries, you're definitely going to struggle to set boundaries with me. And so it's can be easier sometimes in a contained environment where, you know, you've built that trust and you know that it's safe. And, you know, you, a lot of times it doesn't feel as burdensome asking for help from your therapist because you know it's not a relationship where, um, you know, I'm going to be asking you for something, so to speak. Right. right. And so creating that safety in the relationship and then slowly translating it out into your other relationships. Mm. And it's literally I was just going to ask you that. So thank you for ending on that note is I think a lot of times we focus attachment styles and our conversations of this around romantic relationships because we treat those as like really high stake like important relationships mm-hmm. but do these carry over into our friendships our relationships with our family our work or you know mm-hmm. other sort of long-term ongoing relationships as well yeah absolutely okay. and i think the reason why the focus is on romantic relationships is, is because typically those are the most intimate relationships in the sense right, because right. your partner will see so many different aspects of you that your friends might not see your family might not see but it absolutely exists in the other relationships as well okay all right well thank you for sharing this um i'm going to give you the floor if there's anything else that you want to add you want to end it off then we'll switch gears a little bit yeah i don't think there's anything else to add all right well thank you you've shared a lot i know listeners definitely took something away i know i did i took some notes so (laughs) and i'm excited for for you know people to get to hear this so thank you um but yeah so here on the bordurano podcast we like to end our episodes off with a fun little segment just to get to know you know different side of our guests so i'm gonna ask you four lighthearted questions and without thinking too hard you know, just give me the first answer that comes to mind. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, the first question. Brunch is a thin now. So what is your favorite brunch spot? What are you enjoying right now? Oh, my favorite brunch spot. I would say OEB. I don't know if you guys have that. Yes, oh, yeah. we do okay. here. Yes. And it's so funny because I have that listed as my next place to try. So yeah, great. You just confirmed so it. <laughs> Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. You close your eyes and you can instantly teleport to anywhere in the world. Where are we going? Ooh, Greece. Ooh, where exactly? Yeah. Santorini? Mykonos? Mykonos. Mm. I know it's like a hot spot, yeah. but definitely I want I want to go. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear yeah. you. Um, okay. Is there any TV show or movie that you recently watched that you were loving or that you are watching and loving? uh the most recent tv show i think i watch is 90 day fiance oh (laughs) that's the first thing that comes to mind (laughs) are you loving the latest season or is it like "Mm." it's pretty good i think it doesn't it definitely doesn't capture my attention as much as um previous seasons but that's okay 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 and last question dinner with any two people dead or alive who would they be um that's a good question I would say my grandparents. They passed away. Okay. That's cool. For any particular reason, if you don't mind me asking. I think just because they passed away when I was, um, you know, in middle school, high school Mm. kind of age. And now that I'm 
full grown adult, it would be nice to like actually yeah. have adult conversations rather than, you right. know, the childlike kind of stuff. For so, sure. Yeah. For sure. That's great. Well, thank yeah. you for sharing your answers and thank you for being on this episode. I appreciate you. Uh, before I let you go, I just want you to just, you know, go ahead, share your socials and how people can connect with yourself and the Cognitive Corner. Yeah, for sure. So my socials um, all across the board are The Cognitive Corner and my website is www.thecognitivecorner.ca. All right. And I will definitely put that in the episode description so people can connect with you. Thank you so much for being on this episode Thank again. You. I love this conversation. Thank you. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. So with that, we are at the end of this episode. I hope you all enjoyed my conversation with Simone, talking all things attachment styles, you know, reflecting on our attachment styles and sort of the next steps to take if we find out that our attachment styles lean more to being insecure. As always, keep the conversation going on all our social platforms, Twitter, Instagram, and now on TikTok as well at BWDIK podcast. Share the podcast with a friend, drink your water, mind your business. And as always, you will hear from me real soon. Bye for now. Bye.